Hi folks, welcome back to this Action RC podcast series. It's summer 2023, down under at least. Uh, while I remind myself of that, I'm talking to a guest today for whom the snow is falling. I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by two-time IFMAR world champion, Joel Magic Johnson. Uh, Joel and I are going to dig into some of his extraordinary race history, including those world championship wins in 87 and 92, getting started in 12th scale, the rise of Pro 10 racing, something about the Trinity Losi race teams of the 90s, and then a bunch of stuff around his industry experiences with Trinity, aka Tyres and more. Time for me to stop talking and welcome to the show the esteemed Joel Johnson. Joel, thanks for joining me. Scott, happy to be here. Happy you're doing something like this. And uh, yeah, can't, can't wait to get in, get, get into it all. So. It's it's very fun to be able to sit on opposite sides of the world and have these conversations. And somehow we've managed the time zone difference so that it's not too bad a time. Uh, it's good to yes. chat. Um, I want to get into all of the history and stuff in a in a few minutes, but I guess I'd actually I'm curious to kind of see what RC is like for you today. You know, as we sit here, you're doing a bit of eight scale on road racing, I gather. But what's so what's what's your RC kind of uh, journey of the moment of 2023? Yeah, well, the eight scale on road has been my latest journey, um, which I got into a few years ago because of the. Steel City RC track that was built uh, by the Goodwine family, and it, it was just a spectacular facility. And growing up, and all through my career, really, I'd never had a true permanent facility to go practice at or do anything for any of the scales I had. Here and there, maybe off-road, but I was always in Northern California. We never really had those facilities till later on, maybe even after I had kind of um, gotten out of it in the in the late 90s. So uh, I saw that facility. I always loved eight scale on road, um, never got a chance to do it as a when I was really heavily involved as a driver, just because of the, the demands of all the races we did for the electric stuff. So um, so the minute I had a chance to jump in um, and at a facility like that, it was just I just had to do it. And uh, it was had just a amazing journey and it, it was a journey because i hadn't raced in so long and i had to really rebuild all the knowledge and yeah. you know just whatever i could i mean i always had you know guys wrenching on my cars if you will or at least yeah. telling me yeah. what i think i should do based on my feedback i didn't have that anymore <laughs> you know and uh so but i did have gil losi as my business partner so yeah. he wasn't at the track but we had hours of conversation you know, during the week about what I'm experiencing, you know, why does it do this? And that. so I really just had an amazing um, time and a journey trying to build a race program again. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, just had a great time and, and really enjoyed getting back to be one of the guys at the track. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just wonderful. And unfortunately, that track just closed because of NASCAR uh, okay. wanting to take the land back. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's a go-kart track out there. There's autocrossing out there with the real car, you know, full-size cars. That, yeah. And they, they just, and they're saying, no, we're going to build warehouses. So they're building uh, warehouses out there on their land. And they're short, you know, the, the track's going to be much smaller. They're going to a small, anyway. So yeah. it was, a, it was sad. <laughs> So, anyways, but pretty so, cool to be almost a beginner again. You know, not I mean, obviously not a beginner. You're bringing forty years of history or something, but just to kind of go back to having those raw experiences of figuring out the car. What does this do? How do I make the car do this? 
learning to drive a little bit again, I guess. Uh, that it, like it was. It, yeah. it was really interesting. I mean, the driving, I mean, I could get the car around the track, but to mm. get where I wanted to be with the driving was a, mm. di- a, diff- a whole journey in itself. And then having to be the mechanic and realizing how much uh, mental process there is to being a mechanic and then going to be a driver. And, you know, and there, there's, a, there's a whole podcast in that, you know, yeah. for me, I, I had... You know, it was so much um, learning and then learning how to switch modes and, and how to get out of caring what the car did and just get into just doing the most you can with that car and not trying to fix it while you're driving it in your head. Mm-hmm. So um, it was really interesting. And Gil was there every step of the way. And he was I think he knew where I was headed because he had done it already become. Yeah. You know, he was obviously a very accomplished world champion and then yeah. went on to design cars and realized you can't design a car and be a world champion at the same time unless you really are extraordinarily yes. uh, compartmentalizing everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was uh, so it was really fun. Yeah, I just uh, it was a great time, and it was really one of the most fun times I've had in the RC industry. Just getting back to be a racer, and it was nice. You know, it's nice not having all that pressure on you. I was just an old guy out there having a good time, and uh, was able to go pretty fast and kind of surprise some people and people were like who is that guy i think the first time i was out there <laughs> and uh it was it was really fun so it was a nice. great experience you've got i mean that that modern experience you've got so much industry experience so many years and years of racing at the highest levels and this i mean maybe this seems like a question that's too deep too fast but i'm curious as you sit today looking back over 40 plus years in this industry and in the sport in the hobby what does it all mean to you how do you kind of process what rc has meant to you across the span of your lifetime wow that's boy it is like i said we're going deep pretty fast yeah no but you know it really you know i you know from the beginning i mean when i started and i was i mean I was like nine, eight or nine, wow. 1975, 76. I mean, this, this was, it was the genesis of like the electric part yeah. of this, right? I mean, yeah. so my first car was a Jeroby 049 powered Jeroby car. Um, and it was 112 scale. And it was, you know, that was, I think really, if you look back, that was kind of the first car yeah. that was actually, you could buy out of a box. Yeah. And kind of go race where before that there were eight scale cars but i mean you needed a lot of work to get one of those running right yeah, there was yeah. you buy a dremel <laughs> you buy a lot of dremel bits and uh you know and and start marking and, and drilling and doing and you know so as a kid that was out of the question obviously yeah. and not, not to mention nine-year-olds doing that no no yeah and keeping a a motor running in general let alone a 21 yeah. and uh so you know we started there and and um you know, my, I was, my father owned a hobby shop in, the, in, those, in that era. Yeah. So, but we did have, so one of the first, we think one of the first electric cars to come about in the U S and I'm not sure about Europe, um, was, you know, brought into our hobby shop by a couple of, we, we were, our hobby shop was in Silicon Valley in California, okay. there central yep. in uh, Bay area. And a couple of, uh, you know, electrical engineers from Signetics, a local company came in and said, what do you think of this? We, they took their, Jeroby car took the electric, you know, the all the gas stuff out of it yep, and yep. put an electric motor and they actually built a solid state speed control. Wow. That was the first time I ever saw an electric car had a solid state, not a uh, resistor or restart yeah, yeah. as you call it. Yeah. You know, and uh 
my dad said, that's fabulous, you know, because all we did all day is try to teach people how to keep their 049s running, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so uh, you know, to going from that and, and then just, you know, just uh, starting rate, you know, we had races in our parking lot, you know, mm-hmm. twice a month and, and just being involved as a kid and seeing kind of this thing grow. I mean, and, you know, we went from there's an electric car to, I think, probably less than a year later, having 140 people in our parking lot wow. in, in, the, in the late 70s yep. racing a 12 scale electric cars. You yep. know, I mean, this is a legit, you know, there wasn't a million classes. There was 12 scale electric, you know, <laughs> so it was 140 people competing, yeah. you yeah. know, and then we broke them up by driver, you know, yeah. skill and things. But, um, you know, to see it there and, and then, of course, watch it grow a little bit and just being a part of it. And of course, I'm very young, so I'm mm-hmm. a little numb, you know, yeah. not paying attention to everything. But, you know, for me, it was um, just something I got addicted to yeah. in a good way. I just really was fascinated by how by these cars and just by the whole thing. And, you know, my dad raced boats for years. He was okay. he founded the the national organization for racing model boats in the United States, you know, the roar, if you yep, will, of yep, model boating, EFRA. Yep. And, um, you know, so I spent a lot of time at a boat pond at a very young age, but the boats never interested me, but the cars were fascinating to me. I don't, you know, cause I could just set it down and go. I didn't have to yeah. travel anywhere. And um, so it really, it just, it, it gave me this, this passion that I, you know, as a kid, you don't, you know, you get addicted to things. And of course, video okay. games were coming yeah. about around then too. So I got really involved in those, you know, as much as you could. And, uh, but, you know, just seeing it grow throughout the years. And I just met so many great people yeah. and had so many fun experiences. And I, I've seen the world um, and, and, you know, if you will, on someone else's dime and yeah. just, it, it's really, you know, it's shaped who I am and it, it yeah. really gave me perspective on a lot of things, you know, that, you know, when you go to Thailand to race eight scale off-road, that was, you know, I went to the first eight scale off-road world championships over there mm-hmm. for, you know, race for Kyosho. And it was, I was one, I was the only American, you know, along with Gary Kais, who I traveled with and we yep. were the only two guys, you know, and, and be in seeing that environment and meeting the prime minister mm-hmm. of Thailand and I'm racing toy cars. <laughs> I know people hate that, but you know, at the essence, these it's are, true. you That's know, true. we're racing. Yeah. You were racing radio control cars and i'm like and the guy he came over you know the prime and he shook our hand and we and that was i was just like wow here i'm meeting the how many people meet this guy you know and i'm here as a racer from the united states and we got singled out and it was great yeah. you know so i've had it's meant a lot you know i mean I've, I've just met so many people and had so many good experiences and and it's it gave me such perspective on life and and winning and losing and how to handle it and and uh being a part of a team and, uh, and problem solving. And, you know, I just think I had a head start on a lot of this stuff compared to other kids, you know, cause I was competing on a national level at 13 years old, you know, 12 years old and people relying on me and handing me parts and saying, you know, here, go win, you know, and, and, and it was interesting. I don't know. So I, you know, I wish yeah. my father were still around cause I'm sure he could tell that story a lot more in detail, but that, you know, it, it's uh it's been a great ride and it yeah. still is fun and i you know just even in this last chapter with the eight scale on road it's it's still a great hobby it's a great sport and uh you know we just need to get the word out there more on, on we this do stuff, so. we do you've you've i mean you've really highlighted some of 
some of the extraordinary dimensions of this hobby, this I keep calling it a sport, so I'll just keep calling it a sport, a competitive hobby. You know, that that opportunity to travel, the people that you meet, the experiences that you have racing toy cars that cross over into other dimensions of life, engineering, teamwork, you know, learning to lose or to be resilient or to deal with, you know, disappointment, all of those things that, you know, you've just highlighted there are some of the extraordinary lessons, I think, that, you know, that RC offers, um, you know, for any of us, whatever age. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really has so much to offer. I agree. Yeah. So Joel, tell me about those first few years. You've, you know, you, you're getting started with, you know, heard a little bit about that. I can't quite imagine a 0.4.049 engine being very much fun to kind of tune or to drive, but there you go. But wh- how did you kind of develop from, you know, a kid in a, in his dad's hobby shop to sort of, I guess I want to fast forward through those first few years of where do you go from there to racing at national championships? What's that, what's that like for a teenager? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it started, so I think Northern California and, you know, California in general always mm-hmm. been obviously kind of a hotbed of yeah. RC racing, especially Southern part mm-hmm. obviously was associated in Losi, all those guys down there, even though that was pre-Losi, if you will. But um, yeah, we were, you know, we had a very good program up in Northern California. So it was kind of known that our shop and we had a, we actually had a circuit. We went to other hobby shops monthly and we had this traveling circus, if you will, where we yep. raced 12 scale every, you know, almost every other week. And, and um, so I just was, you know, we had junior class and expert and amateur, right? So I always ran the junior class because I was 12 and my dad, even though I'd beat the juniors pretty handily. <laughs> and I was as fast as the experts. My dad would never let me move to expert because he said, I don't need you beating the adults, <laughs> right. you know, at 10 years old or whatever. Right. So, uh, he kept me in the junior class and he said, and then, um, so finally he said, well, if the experts would vote you in, if they let you, then you can run experts. Can so they, they, of course they voted me in cause they're not yeah. going to vote and tell me no. Right. Yeah, so right. I went into expert and was, uh, started competing and finishing and, you know, beating them, uh, pretty much right off the bat. Mm. And, uh, at the time I already mentioned the name, Gary Kyes, mm. he was a local racer, but he was also, uh, working for. A manufacturer called MRP back okay. in the day, which was yep. there's Jeremy Joe Mac MRP. So pretty soon he said, "Hey, you're pretty good, and um, you know we'd like to give you a car, and and uh, we'd like to race our MRP car." And at this time, we actually made our own chassis at our hobby shop because at the time it was the Jeremy gas car, or nothing, right? So my dad had designed a simple pan chassis with and using some Jeremy parts. So we started, you know, I started racing for MRP and. Gary had become friends with my dad over the year, you know, the few years that we were racing. So, and, uh, you know, so pretty soon I was doing regional races down in LA, doing quite well, winning a few here and there. And of course, LA was a little harder, um, a little bit more competition down there, but I had proven that I could compete with them. But I did have, as a local, Kent Claussen, who happened to be, is the 82 world champion for 12 scale. And uh, so we had a good program in Northern California, but, uh, and then, uh, I think it was 1983, no, 81 came around and Gary said, I'd like to take Joel back to, you know, Boston, which is 3000 miles away. <laughs> and down the road. Com- yeah. yeah, it's down the road. Yeah. It's a pretty far away. You know, I want the nationals are in Boston and, uh, I'd like to take them there and to compete for MRP at the time. And, mm. um, so 
my parents for some reason said yes. <laughs> sure, take take my take our twelve year old son, thirteen year old son, thirteen yeah, three thousand miles away, and uh, so you know, and that's about the time. That's right at the time when I Trinity had come onto the scene, and I had been contacted by Trinity right before you know right before that race to use their motors through a mutual friend because Trinity was in slot car racing before RC. Right. So we had a, a customer in the hobby shop that was big in the slot cars and they had found out about, you know, that that guy knew me and our shop. And they, I yep. guess my name had traveled already then, even though I was just a regional kid. So they had said, Hey, if you go back to this race, we'll meet you there and we'll supply you with motors. And okay. this, and that was Trinity's first big race um, okay. was to go to this nationals event in, in uh, at Raddy's raceway somewhere outside of Boston. So that was really my first um, burst onto the national scene. I had run the nationals the year before, but um, it was local. It was really close to where we were in Northern California. And yeah. I was just another kind of kid there. I did yeah. okay, but um, certainly wasn't anything. And, and ironically, that was one of Ralphie, Ralph Birch's first races. So Ralph Birch and I kind of burst onto the scene at the same time as like 12 year olds. We're almost the same age, um, exactly. So. Um, but yeah, so we went to Raddy's and uh, with MRP under Gary's guidance, you know, as a 13 year old, I, I mean, luckily these cars were quite simple back then. And, yeah. um, you know, long story short, I won uh, two of the three, two of the five classes and finished second, third and fourth in the other ones for electric. So, and I, I would have had another win in uh, the four cell division, but just had an unfortunate uh mishap with traffic and i'll just leave it at that because the story is somewhat <laughs> legendary you could dig into it deeper with gary kai's if you'd like uh and uh yeah so i probably would have had three national championships at that event and then that's where it took off and then obviously trinity realized they had something there as a with a little kid from california and um yeah and then it then, then it was from there off to the races yeah i mean it was um not necessarily a whirlwind, but yeah, I, it was, um, it was a lot of fun, you know, then, then it's, can you go to this race? Can you, I, I didn't know there were this many races, you know, mm -hmm. nationwide, right? I'm just a little kid and they're like, Hey, yeah, can yeah. you go to Columbus, Ohio for this race and this? And we're like, Holy moly, where, where are all these races coming from? <laughs> I'm going to go to school. <laughs> exactly. Yes, uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Joel, just let me just butt in for a moment and say, couple of things. Firstly, I think we're already up to two additional podcasts that we're going to do together. I'm just making a list here because there's a bunch of these things I'd love to dig into. Perfect. What extraordinary experience, you know, to travel with. And and the second well, thing, thing I was going to just notice is some of the names that, you know, are already kind of floating around, you know, who would become legendary, not just in the US, but across the world. People like Kent Clausen, Gary Kais, Ralph Birch. I mean, they're, that's about as good as it gets in terms of quality, isn't it, of uh, of people that you're hanging out with? It really is. I, it was, you know, it's one of those serendipity things, right? I mean, I just, you know, Kent happened to be a Northern California guy and Gary was from Northern California and, you know, Gary, I still talk, you know, I haven't talked to Kent in a while, but obviously we're still friends and he's down in Southern California and Gary Kais in my, just in this recent journey, eight scale, he lives in Ontario right by the racetrack. So I saw him every weekend and we raced together and it was just fabulous. Here's a guy that I met when I was probably nine mm. and 
we're still friends and we're racing together and we're having a ball, you know, and it's just, you know, I don't know too many things that you can do in a life to have to, to, to compete and have all these experiences from the time I'm nine to now I'm 55. And here yeah. I am still with my mentor. If you, yeah. you know, really the first guy that took me under his wing and it was, it's just amazing. Yeah. What, so, um, I've been what, very lucky. What did it mean to you in your development and career to have a mentor kind of person? And, and have you been able to, I guess I'm curious then whether you've been able to offer that to other people along the way that that mentor relationship um, strikes me as being pretty important. It really is. And, you know, as a kid, um, it is important to have someone there to um, pick you up, you know, when you're down and, and, and explain to you why you're feeling what you're feeling. And it's OK, you know, when you're eight, you're, you know, 10 years old and your RC car quits in the middle of a main event that you're racing, you know, you're going to beat the adults. And that's like cataclysmic in yeah. a nine-year-old yeah. world, right? Yeah. You know, and I had those events and I had my dad, thankfully, um, yeah. right there always. He was always running the, my dad was an organizer, so he was okay. always running the races. Yeah. But, you know, I always had my dad and then on these, um, you know, on the flyaway races and things, you know, these bigger races, as I was 13, 14, I had Gary Kyes and, you know, he had been around the block. He's a multi-time national champion mm -hmm. and world champion. And, you know, he knew how to explain what was going on and that it's okay because there's, there's another race coming, you know, and, and he also explained, hey, don't be so nice out there. You know, I know you're a nice kid. This is racing. It's not, this is, you know, you got to own the track. When you go there, you better, you know, that's your corner as much as it is his corner, even though he's 35 and you're 13, you know, that's not, you know, this is a, this is a racetrack. So age doesn't matter, you know, and it, just getting those little lessons and, and, and having them teach you how to work on the car and when, you know, and oh, give me that, I'll fix it, but just watch me, you know, and then eventually you'll get this and you can do it. But, you know, just always making sure the equipment is right. And, and uh, yeah, just, just those things. It's so important early on, one, to make sure it's always fun because that's what this is all about at the end of the day. Yeah. And then, uh, and two, to, to teach those little lessons and, and, you know, it's going to be ups and downs and lows and highs and, but, you know, at the end of the day, just you keep working at it, you know, you'll get to that pot of gold, hopefully, you know, that's the, and the goal, the goal. So um, I was very fortunate to have great mentors. And obviously my father, you know, was a great mentor. And, uh, and Gary Kyes was a great mentor, uh, young growing up, and then to get involved with, you know, as, as I got a little older, you know, we had, I had Trinity's backing and, and, and seeing their approach to things. And they were very focused on winning. And it was a much different vibe than the California vibe was the East Coast, New York vibe. But it was a great learning experience because they, you know, they did things at a different level. And, and it was like, okay, all right, uh, this is how it's done here. And, and um, then, you know, meeting the low seas and getting to be friends with them and just you know, seeing how Gil approaches things and, and his thought process. And it's, I still learn from him, you know, every time I talk to him. And uh, so it's just been very fortunate, but it was very yeah. fun because the other part of it was everybody was learning. There was no, you know, nothing had been decided by then, yeah. right? I mean, it's yeah. just things are changing, week changing weekly. And uh, it was just quite a golden era, I guess, is the best way to explain it yeah. back then. Yeah. Just, there was no set way to do things and it was so fun to go to the track there'd be people would be cutting up things and bolting things on and one race to the next and you're just like 
ah, that's pretty cool. You know, I was just, <laughs> you didn't even, none of us knew if it worked. You didn't, nobody was engineering. They were just doing uh, stuff because it was cool, you know, or trying to yeah. solve a problem if it broke. So, yeah, yeah it was different. A different, was, different era. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, Joel, years later, um, the great Mike Reedy singled you out in a list that he put together of the kind of all-time greats of the sport. And in that conversation, in that interview that I read, he mentioned your kind of, you know, what he characterized as a super smooth driving style. And I, I guess I'm, I got to wondering as I read that about how much of that over all of your career came from these 112 scale origins, you know, in an era where horsepower was so limited, battery life was so critical in those, you know, probably really for the first 15 or 20 years of electric racing, battery life was always an issue. So I just got to wondering, you know, how much of those origins of where you learnt to drive, I guess, in kind of had a consequence right through your career in terms of the way you drove. You were known as being one who was so smooth, so consistent. Do you, do you kind of see those origins in that 12-scale kind of era growing up in, in the early 80s? Uh, 100%, yeah. I mean, I and I think... Where it started, I think, is the one you were racing in parking lots, and the and the yep. we didn't have the tires, all, all this stuff that we have now. I mean, we just didn't have that technology, mm. if yes. you will, for lack of a better term, back then. So the cars are, you know, they're skittish. They don't turn very well. They don't, they don't have a lot of traction front or rear, and they're not skating around. But you had to the corner speed, uh, corner entry speed was everything. You know, it was so it was a fine line between pushing to the outer board or turning in too early because the front tires were just hard as a rock in the beginning. I mean, we literally use these hard rubber tires. That's what the Jeremy cars had to begin with. Yeah. So and the servos were incredibly slow back then, <laughs> incredibly slow. I mean, yeah. so you're just it was all timing, all timing, all this. And then now, the, of course, the tracks are much simpler and smaller and this and that. But. There's still there are boards. We didn't have dots yet or the the, yeah. the plow discs or whatever. So you made a mistake. You cracked a yeah. board that didn't move. You know, so yeah. consequences yeah. were high when you made a mistake. So yeah, I think you know, growing up, it was really you know these board tracks I had to race on, and and we raced on a different layout every time. You mm -hmm. know, there was no permanent tracks, and yeah. these the, this idea of the servo speed being so slow and the in the you know, the traction not being there and really just having to, you know, manage all this. And, you know, as a kid, so I wasn't thinking about it. I was just no. reacting, right? Yes. Yeah. It just, just, it was just being programmed in with every turn of the wheel after a while. So, you know, as things got better and faster and this and that, I was still, that was just my style now. That, that That's what I had. That's how I learned to drive. And I, I know I take, you know, I think when, when if you asked other people that watched, how I raced, I did not take very wide, you know, kind of carry a lot of corner speed type of lines down the straightaways, you know, go down the straightaway, stay as wide as you can, then come in and hit the apex. I always kind of ran the inside of everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I, that I don't know where that came from, but yeah. it does make it easier to find the apex of the turn when you're not 10 feet yeah. out from it, you know, and maybe that's what it was, but I did have, I did develop that kind of style and it, it really, I think it worked really well on very small tracks, which is where I grew up, you know, grew up racing. As we got to the bigger tracks, um, that's not the best way to do it yeah. uh, in a way. So, but yeah, I think it's, you know, the 12 scale for sure uh, is how, you know, I kind of developed that smooth style because it, it was almost necessary just because of the traction and the, the response time of these, of the radio gear and everything. 
I was actually watching last night some footage from the 1987 Off-Road Worlds, and we'll come to that in a minute. And actually, you know, you, I think in the piece of footage I was watching, you were chasing Katsunori Kondo, and you could actually see that different line. Um, so just, you know, curious to hear you kind of noticing that, you know, that narrower line into a corner that that you kind of grew up learning to do. It's visible if you watch that footage back. Uh, I didn't I didn't make a lot of, pay a lot of attention to it at the time, but now that you say that, I'm kind of going, yeah, I saw that. Saw that in the footage. We'll get back to we'll get to off road eventually. That's kind of down the track. Um, so twelve scale is super competitive. You know, really is the the class outside of eight scale on road in this time. And ten scale buggies are kind of coming, but they're not there yet. At what point in this early eighties do you start looking internationally, conscious of world championship racing, some of that kind of bigger, wider kind of world? Yeah, well, I mean, so the first twelve scale worlds was held. I believe I think it was '82, and it was in Anaheim. So obviously, uh, just a few hours from where I grew up, and right in the middle of, you know, the heartbeat of, of yeah. electric racing, probably at that point um, in LA, in Los Angeles area. So you know that I went there uh, and raced with MRP, and that you know, so that by that time, um, I'd already had a couple national championships, and in the 12 scale worlds at that point was outdoors, um, which I was very good at. Uh, that was just where I grew up racing in parking lots and it was in a parking lot. So um, that's kind of the first international experience I had. And that's when I first saw like the English guys come over with their Schumacher cars, which I think had Lexan chassis, like clear they chassis. Did it. That's that yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it was fascinating because one, they were really fun and mm -hmm. great people. And uh, and just seeing all these all these different cars and the Japanese had their cars. I don't really remember which car they had, but it was... Uh, it was just, it was like a whole experience, right? I mean, I'm like, here I am what, by that time, 14 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, whoa, look at all these different cars. And, you know, I, you'd only get a glimpse of the Japanese cars if somebody happened to have a, a RC, I forget the name of the magazine, but, uh, yeah. you know, one of the Japanese magazines yep. would come through our hobby shop every once in a while. And you'd flip through it and see all the cool, they had so such cool stuff. And the same with some of the English magazines and, but it was great to see the stuff live and get to meet everybody. And it really was, you know, back then, I mean, it obviously was super competitive, but everybody was also just like, we were all just having fun getting to know each other a little bit, you know, and just, just seeing how everything's done and the different chargers and different, you know, yeah. just different worlds every from each of the blocks, you know, if you will, how they were doing the same thing, if you will. Yeah. And uh, so that was my first international experience. And uh, I mean, I ended up not making a main. I, and the, the, I think a pinion gear chewed through a wire oh. that I had a little long. Oh. Um, I, I was finally having a good run, and I think I would have qualified for the main on that run, but then it, it shorted everything out. <laughs> That's, you know, when you're own mechanic at 14, you know, yeah. it looked cool, but the wire could have been a lot shorter and it would have drug on the pinion. But uh, live and learn. There. Live and learn. So. so just while we're on that, just to note that Ken Clawson did take the win in the stock class at that event, and Art Carbonell, another uh, name of law of yesteryear took the win in modified driving a delta chassis so that's uh the two winners there in that uh, first 12 scale on-road world champs uh we've already right. talked about kent and art certainly made quite a name for himself as well didn't he yeah especially in eight scale yep. yeah i mean he was so good in eight scale and just in pretty much dominant in anything he put his mind to it was very i didn't know art all that well but i did have some kind i did run delta cars in you know in mm -hmm. the subsequent years and uh 
did have some fun conversations. Great guy, and uh, but always thinking. You know, one of those guys that was always wondering how to make it better. And you know, he was really, really sharp. And uh, but man, what an amazing driver! And of course, he, you know, he was, he had a uh, misformed arm, and he was, you know, if you will, handicapped, but obviously not handicapped with an RC transmitter in his hand, and uh, or in any sense, you know. But um, which is another great thing about our sport. You know, yeah. we have some people that are just doing extraordinary things with some real, you know, disabilities, you know, but they're able to just accomplish great stuff in, with RC cars. And it's, it's a, it's another great facet of our, of our sport. Definitely a legend, uh, Kelvin Ellis, for sure. So uh, 84, the worlds are in, I'm just going to stick with the worlds for a minute. 84, the worlds are over in Denmark. Uh, did you get to that one? I did. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Let's see. 84 was in Denmark. And that, I believe, is when Ernie and I went to Japan. Okay. Uh, so we skipped that. That's yep. the story of yep. how Ernie got the Kyosho motor uh, deal and was able to um, bring in his own uh, motor instead of buying the Yokomo stuff through Reedy and kind of okay. separated himself from, from that. Yep. So I did miss that one. And that's the one because I was on such a hot streak by then. Everybody thought I would have probably won that. Mm -hmm. Although me at 6L and carpet was always a, that was somewhat an oil and water thing. I how just, was, how was the transition for you from parking lot to carpet? What, how did, how did that kind of work for you? Was it a difficult, it, difficult move to make? It was difficult. Well, yeah, in the beginning it was difficult. I mean, cause I, you know, I remember the first, carpet race I went to big one was really Cleveland and I think that would have been maybe 83 and uh, I I mean I'm running a, I had no idea what I was doing with this and, you know the bodies needed to be trimmed higher because the carpet's yep. squishy if you will back then the uh, tires are different the gearing's different we're running and then then it was four cell right so we're taking two cells out of the car and you know the whole thing was just foreign so it took me a couple races to figure out what to do with all this but i have to say when it came to four cell i got very comfortable with it pretty quickly yeah. once i figured out what to do with the cars and, and i ended up ultimately you know um tony p from trinity really started taking over kind of like building the cars because he was a racer and he was a kind of a partner of ernie Pervetti's at uh, they kind of founded trinity if you will together yeah. Yeah. And um, so he would race and get the cars where he thought it was good. And then I would just show up and I'm like, yeah, these are great and race them, you know? So <laughs> in California, we had no carpet, right? Yeah. So I had no way, you know, one, I'm young and two, I had no way to, to even practice it or anything. So, but with his help and he built a great car and was very fastidious. He was a great uh, slot car chassis guy, you know, back in the day when he was doing that for Ernie. And um, so he kind of, got me on the straight and narrow on carpet because they raced it every week there. And, uh, and four cell was really comfortable for me. I really liked, I, I think it was the size of the track as much as anything else. Yeah. I liked the tiny tracks and I really liked the tight circuits. And, um, you know, as we went to these big tracks, like would have been in Denmark or, the, or the other, a lot of the other uh, 12 scale worlds going forward on carpet, I was just never the, the extra weight in the car and just the way the car felt, it just, it was rare that it felt right to me. I, you yes. know, in Vegas, uh, I think that was the closest I would have come uh, to doing well in 12 scale. Maybe in, uh, in, 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 
Baz, not Baz, where were we at in England when um, Spachette won everything? But that, yeah. my car was pretty good there too. That was, a, yeah. that's another shot I might've had, but nobody was beating Spachette at that race at anything. Yeah. So, you know, so be it. But, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, the, the carpet transition was, was a little weird at the beginning, but you know, especially for four cell, I, I kind of fell in love with four cell carpet. It was, that was, a, that was my thing. It is a, it's a particularity, isn't it, of 12 scale that it, the surface of choice is so different in different parts of the world over that era. And certainly in Australia, it was all bitumen parking lot, if you like, um, and very few carpet tracks and, until much, much later. And even now, there's very little carpet racing in Australia. Uh, but in different parts of the world, that's not the case. I guess in those parts of the world where winter is a factor and we have to go inside, you know, we end up racing on carpet. Uh, but 12 scale is a class in particular that has had that difference in surface in different parts of the world. Uh, which must have always made world championship racing pretty interesting as people came together from their different uh, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like in the U S while we ran a ton of four cell carpet, we never ran six cell on mm. carpet. Mm. I mean, maybe here and there, but not, I mean, one, maybe every couple of years. So it was definitely foreign to us, even though, but you know, obviously we had many Americans do well, mm. you know, and win world championships on that stuff. And they were able to adapt. And for some reason, it just never really clicked with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, can we get one of these on asphalt so I could try this again? You know, I grew up on six mil asphalt. Very nice. So. Yeah, that'd be good. So 86, the world's are back in Las Vegas, and there you are on the podium. And I, I just I read through the top 10, and I'm, you know, the, the names in that top 10, Tony Nessinger ends up taking the win, Michael Avocott, Andy Dobson, Christian Keel, Phil Davis, the list just goes on and on. I'm curious, Joel, what you recall of that event. Um, I think you might have won one of the legs of the A final. How close did you get to the whole thing? Uh, what, yeah. What's your recollection of that Vegas world's 1986? <laughs> So 86. Yeah. So, um, worlds in Vegas, um, you know, a, a, a carpet track in the United States, six L carpet, a great venue, um, at the Tropicana at the time. Um, yeah. And I'd spent a lot of time before that race in Southern California at the ranch pit shop for the low season. We spent a couple of weeks building cars, you know, we were all running, uh, associated cars at that time. And, uh, you know, polishing the chassis and sanding the chassis. I really think we had, we really had some great cars. And um, that was a, that was a time where I, I had, I don't remember being super comfortable on that track. My car was good and I was able to, you know, be in the hunt, if you will. And, yeah. um, but, you know, on the other side, we all, the Trinity was struggling with the motors. And again, it comes back to, they were very, we had very good, four cell motors, but when we went to six cell motors yeah, right. and the extra voltage, the brush, the way they were working with the brushes and the brush material and this and that, the stuff was just, just not holding together, you mm -hmm. know? So we struggled a lot with the power and the runtime during that event, but I had a very good car. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but you know, we put in the main and, and I think towards the end of the event, we were getting it, you know, we were getting better at it, but we certainly, it, we were certainly at a little bit of disadvantage there in runtime and, and all that. But I did, I think I did, you know, it's, we're talking a long time ago, right? So it's if I remember correctly, <laughs> I, I, you know, and me and racing, the, after you get so many races, some people can recall everything and yeah. I can't, yeah. it's, it's a blur sometimes for me, but I do remember, I believe I won one of the legs and yeah. I remember, I think, this is back when they would add up 
the times. Less times, yeah, yeah. Times, right? So it wasn't how you finished. Hmm. And I believe I only lost by like two seconds or three okay. seconds. And one, of, and one of the big things that happened at the end of straightaway, we had a hairpin and they used a piece of carpet as the flapper, if you will, at the end. Yep, yep. And I remember my car coming around and the edge of the body got caught on the carpet. I didn't necessarily whack the flapper. Mm. It just went by and like something hung on it. And I remember my car just sitting there and it's going oh. forward and pulled back oh. by the flapper going forward. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh. you know, and that really, as I recall, it was really what lost me, you know, wow. my chance at a win, you know, yeah. and I, you know, who knows what had happened after that, but yeah. It, it was one of those things where I'm like, my God, I just can't buy a break on this, you know, on this car, uh, this 6L carpet, you know, and, and Tony was obviously so good on 6L carpet. And, mm. you know, to get that close to him, I was like, man, that this was my shot, you know, and we really, we did do a lot of work. I think we had the best cars there uh, mm. with what little tricks we did with low C's and all that. And, uh, but we just didn't really have the horsepower to do it just because of just, not having the experience with the six cell carpet. I, you know, I think if you look back, Reedy did a lot of racing in Europe yeah. and they had, yeah. they could work all that out, you yeah. know, and we didn't in Trinity, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a heartbreaker. It is one of the few races my parents made it to. I remember oh. that too. Uh, and I'm there I am. And I'm just, Oh, I just couldn't <laughs> go through, you know, I'd want everything. Yeah. I've been winning everything. Right. And we yeah. you know, you get to the race they go to and there I am like, Oh, yeah. Can't, can't but uh but yeah it's um there but for an errant thread of carpet when a world championship yeah that's yeah that is really yeah, yeah. The, 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 what sticks in my mind from that yeah. race outside of struggling with the motors you know and uh so yeah, yeah. i think it was uh just one little mistake one. there yeah yeah <laughs> so just just before we leave that just maybe invite you to say a couple more words about tony tony Nessinger wins the worlds in 84 backs up in 86 wins again later on where's my notes here um i think 1992 um so three times you know as world champion in tosca i'm imagining that you and he went head to head pretty hard over that whole period of time in the us you, you know was he your main kind of rival there he was he was tony and i i mean i think we had ultimate respect for each other but we butted heads on the track a yeah lot. okay yeah. yeah and it was there was it was ego on ego and no i nobody was letting up type of thing and um yeah i mean he was you know the king uh you know he was the guy for associated i was the guy for trinity delta or whatever the combo yep. was at the time yeah and um yeah i mean he and tony was super fast tony yeah was one of those guys that would just show up and go fast. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, he was numb. He could just, just hand up something and he'll go fast. And, uh, yeah. So I, I there was a couple of times, I think it was, I can't remember. I think we were racing in Reno at an event. Anyways, we had, it was, it was old enough to be, I think we were doing heads up starts. That's how yeah. long ago it yeah. was. Yeah. And we, went down to the end of the straightaway and took each other out like three heats in a row because not neither of us <laughs> lift. I mean, and uh, I wish Ernie was still around because he told the story great. And uh, but yeah, we were just, you know, arch rivals, you know, and, and uh, it was it was cool. It was a really, you know, it, it's a fun thing to have that back then, you know, as manufacturer versus manufacturer and he had the, the owners of the companies were there, you know, and it was just, just, it was just all this electricity and, and tension, you know, and 
in and it was all over 12 scale because that's all there was really i mean yeah. opera was yeah. starting to get going and uh so it was really it was really instrument yeah tony and i we had our battles for sure yeah, yeah. off the track on the track yeah. on the track so, yeah, yeah yeah not off and the not, track we were fine, <laughs> we're another, fine track. another legend of the sport that we've in a long list that we're naming today so now comes the big question really for me of how do you go from you know, if I'm doing the maths right, it's kind of 10 years of racing 12-scale on-road and a year later you're a 10-scale off-road world champion. Um, you, you know, to to my as I listen to the story, I've not heard you talk about off-road at all. I gather that when you showed up at the Worlds in 1987, you'd only had a couple of months messing around with the car. Like, talk, just talk me through a little bit that next period of time before we get to Romsey in 1987 and how does your attention get shifted over to the off-road side of things? Yeah, so that the off-road side of things, I'd never raced um, at a at any sort of large level, you know, big big time race off-road before that. I mean, I had, you know, obviously had a rough rider in my past, you know, or sand scorch or whatever, you know, from Tamiya and 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 kind of played around locally here and there. But yeah. you know, again, with the we were racing so much back then, yeah. you know, there wasn't a lot of time to do that and being on the road. And um, the genesis of me kind of joining off-road was uh, the um, relationship of Trinity with Kyosho, uh, with the motors. And, uh, you know, Kyosho had just um, come out with their Ultima, their two-wheel drive car. And um, they, you know, asked Ernie if, you know, I would like to race off-road. And um, it was, I had never raced it, but they were looking for, drivers around the world to do it and most of the drive i think the best drivers in the united states had all been um you know basically they're running associated yep. or yep. some of the other brands that were already established so they didn't really have much you know anybody at a high level from the united states to come you know to to compete so yeah it was i don't i think it was about three months before the worlds and ernie said to you know what do you think about off-road? I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. I don't, I've never really raced it. I don't know what to think about it. You know, he's like, well, Kiyoshi wants to run the car. And, you know, I've negotiated some stuff with them and I, you know, they're a great partner to our, of ours. So we're, mm -hmm. we're going to go race off-road. I'm like, okay, fine. Right. Let's do it. All right. So, yeah. uh, so they sent me a couple kits. Um, you know, I put them together and, you know, off-road was, was going pretty heavy by then, in, yeah. especially in California. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, in catch up mode, if you will. I'm going out to the track going, oh my gosh, there's jumps and things. And <laughs> jumps and bumps and bumps, you know. So, you know, as in, in a, you know, as a typical, you know, Californian American guy, we all think, oh, we got, you know, we got to redesign this thing, right? So the first thing I do is put a graphite chassis on it that we had made and they may even be making them by then. But yeah, yeah I made some changes to it, mm -hmm. just chassis wise to make it. A little more look like the other cars i was competing against i think that was my only you know yeah. it's just like well nobody else runs this trellis aluminum chassis I, yeah. don't, I don't know what to do with this you know so we put this other chassis on and spread some things out i don't know uh, to be honest i can't tell you it made the car work any better but yeah it, it made me feel better you maybe, felt good you know? about it yeah that's felt important good about yeah. it you, yeah. you know and uh so i raced locally for a month or so you know and then we went um I ended up going to the national championships in Georgia. Um, I think I made the main 
but I didn't do that great. So, you know, I was just getting used to things and Mm. I was okay. I was competitive, but I'm not beating Jay Halsey at the Mm. time or anybody, you know, those guys were just on it. So, you know, we pack up and, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to the worlds and, you know, in Romsey. And, uh, so we pack up and go and, you know, Kyosho at the time, um, obviously a big company, very successful. And they were just so organized and they had, it was, it was really such a great experience going over there and being a part of that team and, um, and just getting, you know, they had, you know, like every race, I think even nowadays you go to world and then they hand you special parts, right? Everybody yeah, is like, yeah. why couldn't we get these a month ago? You know, <laughs> so we could see if they work, right? That's always my feeling, but you know, we got the, you know, but it was great. They, they hand us out the jackets and we had the stuff. And it was the first time I'd ever been to an event where it was that like, there was so much, if you will, pomp and circumstance or yeah. whatever, you know, it was big, like, this big, is a thing, you know, big deal. Yeah. Big deal, big deal. And, um, you know, so when we went there, Again, I am not a chassis guy. I didn't have a chassis guy. Um, and so I'm just basically charging my car, putting it on the track, running around. <laughs> and the track, as most people have probably seen by now, obviously, is uh, very simple, right? It's multi-surface. So they had like a little bit of, I think it was dirt. And then there was some dirt with oil on it, I think at one point. Okay. Well. And we had some brick or some sort of a other surface and it was just a there was i think one little jump and a drop down and a pop out of it you know so i'm like oh maybe i can do this right because it's like i don't have these jumps i'm not having to land downside jumps and all this stuff which i just wasn't good at yet and um so we went out and started just dry i just went out and drove the car and it's like it's getting a little better a little better but it was really just a dirty on-road track with a couple of drop-offs so (laughs) And the other thing we had, and I will say this, is that's the, you know, everybody's running these holiday buggy tires. That was the hot yeah. ticket, yeah. you know, nipped pins and all that. And Kyosho came over with their tires and they had them in different compounds. And that's the first time I think anybody had seen yeah, right. tires with different compounds. And I really think that's where the Ultima got its advantage at that event. We had some really soft tires that were, I think, very good mm. and compared to what everybody else was trying to run. And, um, and maybe on certain parts of the track, the other tires were better, but I think mm. overall whole, we had a much yeah. more balanced package. And, so that's um, the yeah. first, that's the first time that that kind of tire war really breaks out into the open. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, um, uh, in a minute, at what point through the event, then do you kind of go, Oh, this, this is kind of on, you know, this, I can actually run up the front here. Um, yeah, I think it's really after the first heat. Uh, all through practice, I felt like, you know, our times are good. And Ernie's telling me, you're running, you know, competitive lap times. He's like, yeah. it looks okay. You know, and I'm like, okay, I, get, I hope the shocks don't fall apart because I don't even remember what oil's in them. But, you know, it's uh, so, I, you know, kind of that type of deal. And, uh, but, you know, and it was just one of those things where I saw a lot of people changing things. And that you'll, this is a common theme with my off-road career. But I'm like... I would change something like, oh, I didn't really feel any difference. So I just yep. put it back to the way it was. And yep. I just, and I just kept the car the same and just kept learning how to drive it better, if you yep. will. Yep. And a lot of people are making these changes. And I think at the end of the day, from my experience of off-road, you know, this is back then too, not a lot of adjustments on these things. Yep. Um, it was more important for me to, to be familiar with the car than to yep. know if the car had the ultimate setup. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, after the first heat, I'm like, huh, I'm pretty competitive. And I was comfortable out there. I didn't feel like stressed, you know, it was, it was, it was a comfortable pace mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. And it just kept getting better and better, if you will. And, mm-hmm. it, and, and, and then of course, as you get, but you just build more confidence. And then pretty soon I was like, I might be able to win this. You know, it was just yeah, one yeah. of those astonishing things. It was like, I don't, not sure this, this shouldn't be happening. And I think it was, and it was kind of funny too, because the Americans that were around all of a sudden as I'm going faster and faster, like what's going on over there with Joel? Because I mean, obviously <laughs> he's an on road guy. What's he doing? Yeah. Yeah. There's no surprise there, but you know, they saw me at the nationals and stuff and on American tracks, I wasn't there yet, you yeah. know, to be competitive. And, but on this track, it was kind of on road and, um, and it just, it just worked out, you know, it's just one of those, um, you know, I was too, maybe, you know, even though I was what 17, um, still too young to worry about getting nervous maybe, yeah. and just, yeah. just going out and racing my car. So it was, uh, it was a great time. And like I said, that just to be part of the Kyosho team, that's where I first met Akira Kagawa, who later people know, I mean, when he designed the Ultima and designed a lot of stuff at, at uh, Kyosho. And then went on to do all HPI stuff and just become legendary, you know, yeah. as a designer in the yeah. industry. So he he actually, as I got faster, he kind of got assigned to me as my mechanic. So pretty soon he was working on my car and checking it out <laughs> as I was going fast. He was like, yeah, I better send somebody over there before something falls off that kid's car, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's where we started our friendship, you know, and that's kind of, I believe that's where Kent, you know, because Kent and Akira became super close friends, uh, Kim Lawson. So that's, I think, where they started their friendship. And uh, so, yeah, we, um, yeah, that race just, the Kyosho had the the magic package. I mean, the the Ultima is a good car. I mean, and and a little bit of the Ultima, I mean, there's a good story behind the Ultima too. I'll let Gil Losi tell that story eventually, but um, between Losi's and Kyosho actually. And, but the the Ultima was was a good car, and it just in on that track, and obviously with the tires we had, yeah, it was the combination to beat. So it was uh, yeah. that was a fun race, and uh, that's and that's where Masami first emerged too. That's right. So in the you know in two drive, you take the win, uh, joined on the podium by Katsunori Kondo and Chris Moore. That Kyosho Ultima sweep of the podium, actually the last time anyone but associated would win at a Worlds for something like ten or twelve years. Yeah. And in four-wheel drive, as you said, Masami, his breakout performance driving the Schumacher Cat, um, you know, came to the very forefront of the sport and, you know, it would go on to dominate uh, really the next 15 years. I mean, just about everything he touched turned to gold over that period. Yeah, extraordinary yeah. event. Yeah. For sure. For sure. One yeah, of the things really. that – I was going to say one of the things about that event and that Ultima that you ran in 1987, you know, over the last few years, there's been this explosion of interest in the vintage kind of scene and people building replicas of significant cars from back in the day. I've seen a few photos of some people building replica Joel Johnson 87 Ultimas. What what does it mean to you to see people going to all the trouble to build a replica of your race car from, you know, from that world championship win uh, when that pops up on the internet now or someone sends you photos or video of, you know, a replica of your race car? It is, you know, it really, it, for me, it kind of validates all the time I spent, mm. you know, doing this. And I did it because I loved it, you know, I was a kid. And, but, you know, as you get older, you're like, wow, I spent a lot of time racing, you know, RC cars and <laughs> this and that. Yep. And, it, you, and you, you know, you get to be out in the world and you're like, well, it's just, that was fun, but it's such a niche thing, you know, niche mm. thing. So 
but when guys are you know contacting me and wanting to know like what's the photon what is that coin you got on there you know and, and they're going to this detail you know they want a tracing of the front body mount and stuff and it's i love it i love yeah. it and it's it's super flattering it's it's so humbling that these guys want to do it and they're taking the time to do it and i'm always just as helpful as i could be it's yeah, like yeah. whatever you guys need i'm i'll help you you know this is great you know i mean it's it's a it's a great boost to your ego right i mean it can't be so no way it can't be so yeah. um i love it and it does validate all the time i put in and you know and the stress i mean there is stress in this thing you know trying to yeah. win these races and you know yeah, just for sure. the best for these companies after a while you know it's just it, there was some you know money involved on the sales side obviously as we kept getting bigger and bigger and uh so it was fun and it's really fun for me when people contact me about my old cars and wanting to build replicas and it's it's super flattering and it's great i just i love it so. do you do you know what happened to that world championship winning car is it still in your possession or is it i do i do have okay. it and okay. i actually it was rebuilt and i really i really feel bad right now i i can't remember the gentleman's name who re helped rebuild it for me okay. and I, he, he sent it to me and I, I really want to get you the name because I really yeah. need to give him 100% credit and yeah. he passed away uh, like a year and a half or something after that okay. fact from some from you know just a, a sudden mm -hmm. illness mm -hmm. and uh, but he the guy he contacted me and it was asking me all these questions and I was sending him pictures of the car he's like well are you ever going to put it back together I'm like well I'm missing a gearbox and I was missing a few yeah. things, but I had some of the parts. I just didn't. And he's like, would you consider sending it to me and letting me rebuild it? Wow. And I have, I have wow. some of these parts you need. I'm like, and yeah, what, and I was at AKA at the time. This is, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or less. And I'm like, sure. I'm like, why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's in pieces. If, if I never see it again, yeah. oh, well, you well, know, it's, just, it's not doing, it's not doing good, <laughs> any good in a box. Right. So yeah. I just took the shot and I sent it to him. And he just did a magnificent job of putting it together and to the T, you know, and I have it and it's actually at Kyosho right now, Kyosho America, um, along with my trophy. And, uh, but he just did a fabulous job and um, it's, uh, yeah, I was, again, super flattered and just, uh, you know, somebody put in that much time and to put it together and, and cared about the history and all that. It's, it, it, I just, it's really the, one of the best things that has come out of this RC for me is, is that people care about the history yeah. and that, you know, yep. they remember who I was, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Oh, that's very cool. That is very cool. Now I want to ask you, I just want to ask you one question each about the 89 and 91 off-road worlds, and then we'll come back to on-road for 1992. 89 always strikes me as an interesting one being in Australia. I'm Australian. You know, I said to you earlier, I was sitting trackside watching it. It, the thing about that, event i guess i always wonder is what you made of the conditions in australia you know such a typical australian track hard packed slippery no jumps you know the trees and the concrete berms and all of that kind of stuff but you know was it a what were the unique challenges that that world championships presented uh for you well I, yeah i think the i i love the track i remember there's a tree on there one of the left-handers that i yeah. I had squared off a few times because of my, you know, thinking I could really get through that chicane. Um, but I thought the track was kind of cool. First, like you said, it was very on-road like, which mm. I'm like, yes, okay, yeah. this is happy days. Yeah, happy days. Now the traction level with the tires that we had available to us, 
not so happy days. And it was like, mm -hmm. wow, we're now we're competitive for everybody else. But if you had some of the Yokomo little dash or the pin tires that yep. they had developed and kudos to them for doing it and, and spending that time. I mean, it was night and day. I mean, those either you had those tires and you were going to go fast or you were just with everyone else. But I mean, facility wise and track prep and all, it was great. Yeah, it was a it was a wonderful race. And uh, we, uh, you know, I think luckily it rained before the last round of qualifying. And that's how we all got in. All of us without the Yokomo tires got in the main event. And it, it, it wasn't does. for that. If it wasn't for the wet track and the nice, you know, loamy surface all of a sudden that got chewed up, we were doomed. So, yeah. um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed that that race. And that was obviously my first time in Australia, and it was mm. a really yeah. fun time. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It does. So, I mean, that the tire story from that world does seem to overshadow. I mean, that really that and Masami, you know, kind of the the first two-time world champion you know sweeping the event but that tie story does seem to overshadow lots of other things that happened there and yokomo arriving taking advantage of a, a loophole in the ifmar rules with the size of the tires as well as then with compound and tread patterns that nobody else had um and uh, so i just want to kind of park that thought because i want to come back and talk a little bit about some tire stuff later on 91 worlds the the question i have for you joel is that track was insane it's so rough. It's so bumpy. It changes lap on lap, it seems like. How does an on-road guy go fast there? Because you end up finishing fourth right in four-wheel drive, you know, just off yeah, the podium. I, what, what was that like? That was because I think the thing I had going for me was the track became survival. Hmm. It wasn't, you know, only a couple guys kind of had it right. I mean, Cliff Len, obviously. Um, and the rest of it was just hanging on, you know, and just – just being reactive and just there was really no rhythm after a while even though they called the front end the front of it a rhythm <laughs> section uh not so much you know and that but that was off-road you know i mean in a way that's the essence of off-road you know back then and in general i mean look at supercross tracks now i mean those things don't stay together you know there's rots yeah. everywhere yeah. yeah but uh yeah i you know because two-wheel was such a disaster but the four-wheel yeah. car it had, I just, it had more response for me and it, and, yeah. and it, it did things in a quicker manner. And I was able to, I think in on-road things just happen instantly. So it, it, it fit a little bit more of what my brain was trying to tell me to do. And, uh, yeah. And the, you know, and the car itself, the cars were pretty good, but, um, it was, but I just remember it as being a survival and it's just, you know, it wasn't, you were racing the track. You yeah. were not racing the other guys. Yeah. And I just got away with it, you know, and, and just, I think I made peace with the fact that, yeah, you're not going to win it, but you could do well if you just don't flip it over, you know, and, uh, and it worked out. So, <laughs> I mean, probably the most, well, possibly with the exception of the carpet off-road track in Japan much later on, but, but maybe the most unique off-road worlds track that's ever uh, been run for Tensco. I think that track was pretty special. Yeah, it was. It was super loamy, big, um, and just you know, it was gnarly. Really, I mean, it 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 had bumps where bumps were forming in the middle of your heat. Yes, you know, one one time you went through the turn, everything was great. Next time, you know, it's like the landmine went out from under your car. But it was more. It wasn't that the dirt was breaking up and making hole. It was just getting pushed around. Just, you just know, moving. And, and yeah, yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah. and. and uh, you know, I love watching videos from it because there's rooster tails coming off the tires. There sure know? is. 
it just doesn't you don't see that anymore you know it's like we're racing on dirt actually not just hard you know brown cement which it looks like nowadays sometimes but um but you, yeah another fun event i thought john dolly did a great job putting that together and i you know i was always impressed you know when you go to europe i mean the the, the way the races were run were amazing brca you know i mean yeah. to the to the second on when races would go off and stuff and it was so great and you know, the U.S., we were always a little more lax on that stuff. But, uh, you know, I thought Dolly really upped the game of uh, the way the U.S. races were run at that event and really yep. put on something that was really classy and really well run. And, you know, and the track was obviously memorable, memorable for sure. It's, I mean, it's still remembered. Uh, what are we, 30 years later? So that's for sure. Yeah. So before we switch away from racing, the, the, the only other kind of event that I particularly wanted to ask you about is the 1992 Worlds, your second world championship. Uh, by this time, Pro 10 is on the rise, you know, a new class of racing that's kind of emerged over that period, I guess, as, as technology evolved and, you know, batteries and tyres are in a different place by now, motors. And so Pro 10 rises. That first World Champs for that class is hosted in California. I think if I've read the results right, it might have been 10 American drivers in the A final, an extraordinary kind of domination. You drive a Trinity chassis. It's your second IFMAR World Championship win. Just tell me a little bit about that event, that Pro 10 uh, Worlds in 1992. Yeah, so obviously by that time... Um... Yeah, I've been very good friends with Losi's, very familiar with the ranch pit shop, had won a ton of events there in, yeah. with 12 scale. And um, yeah, so we we went to the event. The car I went with was an associated 10L, which we had been racing all year and um, went there. And it was, you know, the locals at that track, meaning the guys that lived in LA, I wasn't local on my, you know, I lived six hours north, yeah. right? So they had that track wired because they could run there you know every other weekend or every weekend really and guys like tyree phillips had really put in the time and it was really fast um and it figured figured out the surface and everything and, and i'd run there plenty but pro 10 was a little different field than 12 scale hmm. so but we i went with my associated car and i was on pace and then <laughs> I think it was the uh, after the first day of practice, uh, Ernie said, hey, uh, Jim Dieter is flying in and he's got a new car and I want you to try. I'm like, wow, we're a new car. I'm like, we're at a world championship. <laughs> you know, this is not the time to break out a new. You know, I'm like, this is not the time to do this. This is our race to win as much as everybody else. I've done yeah. it. You know, I'm just doing a lot of damage outdoors, 12 scale, 10 scale, yeah. everything. You know, I'm like, why are we doing this? You know. And, you know, Ernie, ever the, you know, a very aggressive businessman is like, well, you know, I'm not going to make any money making, you know, racing, you know, trend or uh, associated cars. I mm. want to make cars, too. Mm. And mm. I think Jim has a great design yeah. or, you know, I released, we just need to try it and practice once. And I was like, oh, God, OK, so we're going to waste <laughs> half a day, you know, practice on this. And I really wasn't happy. You know, I go, I really, you know, I got to beat these local guys, you know, that are just yeah. on it now. So, but Jim um, flies in and I, you know, good, obviously by this time, good friends with Jim and we've done other stuff together. And I'm like, what do we have here? You know, and he shows me the car. I'm like, whoa, I, you know, it's in line. Yeah. I had a little bit of inkling of what it was, but I hadn't seen it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that is so different, you different. know, if you will. Yeah. And I'm like, well, 
let's just get I go I want to run that thing first thing in the morning because I got to know we got to know whether we're wasting our time or then Jim's like 100% let's get it you know so we get radio gear and I find radio gear put it in and uh, you know we basically sneak it onto the track uh, if you will I mean not when nobody's there but just nobody yeah. sees what we're doing what you know? yep. and um, we uh, it goes out and it's like I'm like competitive times not great you know and of course first run on the car ever mm. and but we bring it in and you know we you know ernie first thing is it good enough to win and we're like well <laughs> it's got we got four minutes on it you know i don't know but he's like can you make it work can you do this for me can you just let's make this work let's put our time into this car not the other car and and I'm like, okay. I mean, again, uh, I, I think as yeah. a driver, I'm like, well, this this was be, it's more about the business side. Mm. I was getting the, the, yeah. the, you know, the what it was really about, and it's it's not just about winning a race, but it's about winning a race and trying to to monetize it at the end of the day, right? Mm. So I I got the idea, and I'm like, Ernie, if that's what you want to do, you're paying the bills, and then that's what we'll do because the car is close. I mean, it was it was drivable, and it, and we hadn't even done anything. With Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we went to work, you know, and, and Jim uh, is a great mechanic and a, and a great designer and has some really good ideas and just has a real solid foundation with real race cars. Yeah. And we just went to work and, and like with Gil, I could speak what I wanted and they could translate it to the yeah. car, you yeah. know, and uh, it just we just kept getting faster and faster and faster. And pretty soon we're you know, now we're competitive. Now we're top three. Now we're within a 10th of a second here and there. And I'm, yeah. and I'm again, as I got faster, I got more com confident and I yeah. beat all these guys all year long. So once you got me a car that was close, yeah. in my mind, you know, that's you all do. I needed. Yeah. 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 So um, really fun uh, to win with something that no one else has in a way. And it's, mm. it, you know, from a chassis standpoint, I mean, I don't want to, you know, say like, oh, I had special tires or whatever, but mm. It, it, I always liked racing something that was different mm -hmm. because you, nobody could just come over and copy the setup and go fast, you know? So we, I enjoyed running different chassis from the, the, the rest of the competitors if I could, because mm -hmm. it was, it was risky, but it was also very, uh, you know, was a, in my opinion, a competitive advantage. Cause once you went fast and TQ'd or did something with it, it was like, Oh, that car is so different. I don't yeah. know. You know, what are we going to yeah. do with ours? You know? So I enjoyed that kind of being, doing things that way so that car was very fun to run there because nobody had once they thought it was faster it was kind of over by that point so that, that does in my mind it does strike me as one of the differences in modern world championship racing is that 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 kind of notion of a completely unknown prototype car showing up at a world's is you know which was so typical of that era you know we saw it in 89, 91, particularly with Team Associated, but we saw it all through that era with different manufacturers. That doesn't tend to happen anymore. The cars are so fine-tuned and so well-developed now that there are not those opportunities, or at least as an outsider, it looks like there are not the opportunities to put a genuinely groundbreaking prototype car on the track at a World Championships now. Yeah, I, and it, it, it is, you're 100% true uh, or right, and but it's, you know, again, I, the rules have been the same for so long in the classes that are still going today that, um, yeah, it's like Thanks. Formula One, right? You're, yeah, you're yeah. all arrive at the same equation or same answer to the equation. Um, but, you know, also, I think nowadays, um, there's just not the, 
it's hard to get the return on the investment in R&D, you know, to really put a true R&D effort forth uh, to, to design something under the same rules that, that's revolutionary, if you will. One, it's really hard, obviously, but, you know, there are, I think, a lot of things that could be done. And again, I, I get these ideas from talking to Gil because we talked about all that a lot, you know, about how much time and effort was put in in the 90s to all these cars and how little effort is put into the design it's more about tuning it you know about yeah. I mean, these they're magic we call them magic parts you know yeah. so we're, yeah. we're moving a ball stud a millimeter yeah, here yeah. on a bulkhead or whatever but you know to their you know to with with the way manufacturing is now in, in um you know margins and just the amount of sales it, i don't think it makes sense to start with this clean slate uh, because it would take you forever to to make the money back in a way um so it doesn't surprise me but it is kind of a bummer because we used to have you know there used to be some great stuff at these world championships really risky you yeah know? pretty cool and every once in a while it works out <laughs> i would love someone to show up at the uh, 10 scale off-road worlds later this year at hobby action with some pretty cool pretty unknown unseen uh, parts that would that would be super fun it would be fun yeah that that part of it's a little bit gone unfortunately yeah. but uh yeah. but there's you know there's the, the competition's still amazing and the way those guys do what they do with those cars now is just mind-blowing to me so yeah the off-road guys for sure uh, Joel, your your success at World Championship level doesn't end there. That, but you know, I'm kind of conscious of time and a bunch of other things I want to talk to you about. But you do finish second in '94 behind David Spashett. We mentioned that earlier, that uh, event where he was just on fire that period. And then, let me see, you're second behind Kinwald in Basildon in two wheel drive back in on the off road scene in '93. You're not far off the podium in '96 um, back in Pomona behind Mike Swagger. You know, any reflections on any of those other worlds that you got to over those next few years? I think, I think the funny one, not funny, I guess funny, but the, to, you know, again, running off-road uh, back in England, which seems mm. to be my magic. Kingdom, it's your place. You will, yeah. To go. Uh, again, that race, I mean, I had no intention of going to run the worlds because I hadn't run off-road since the last off-road worlds, really. Yep. I just yep. was like, okay, I'll get back to on-road. It was still you know, honor was still a thing and it's your thing. Yeah. So, and then I get a call from Gary Kais, who's, you know, always been around in my racing world. Mm. You know, he was working for Los and he says, uh, I want you to go to the worlds. And I'm like, why would you want me to go to the world? I haven't raced in like two years <laughs> off-road. He's like, he's like, no, I want, I think you should go. I think, I think you could do well over there. And I'm like, Gary, lightning is not striking twice. <laughs> right. I'm like, come on. Let's get real. It's gotten really refined, you know. I mean, I'm I'm seeing what the guys are doing off road. It's legit now. It's like I just want you to go. Do you just come down, spend a week here, and let's just go to. I want you to go to the world and let's see what happens. And he so he talks me into it, and I'm like, okay. So I go down, I build a car, and we go over to M and M Raceway or whatever, and I run around and I'm yeah, you know, I'm competitive, whatever. I can get around. Yep. And then, you know, next week we're off to the worlds. You know, I got a week of practice, under, you know, not even a week, whatever, a day and a half at a track. Mm. And, um, you know, again, the same thing. I just, I don't change the car. I'm kind of following what Jack Johnson's doing. He's pitting next to me and, and yep. I'm like, Jack, what are you going to change for this run? Uh, I'm going to do this. And why are we doing that? Because it was doing this. I'm like, okay, 
I'll try that. I kind of felt my car doing that. And then I come back and I'm like, what'd you think? He's like, eh, not much. I'm like, yeah, I didn't feel that either. And I'd go back and forth. And after about the third time of that, I'm like, I'm not changing my car anymore. Nothing seems to be making a difference, you know? And the big thing I did, I, from racing oval in the, you know, in the United States, these oval cars, we had really big side dams in the car. I'm like, why aren't we running a full size side dam on this back? So I built a wing with big side dams and, and, uh, and then I just put the car, uh, I just kept putting the car in the track with the same setup and just driving it and driving it and driving it. And I'm just driving around. I, I'm not really paying attention necessarily to my lap times. I'm just trying to get comfortable. And I, I remember after the last practice, there's there's kind of a hill right on the edge of the track, a mound, if you will. Yeah. And I remember uh, Pops Losey would sit there and Ernie sitting there. And I remember pulling the car off and I'm seeing somebody something out of the corner of my eye and it's like pops Losey like waving at me. He's got the stopwatch in his hand and he's giving me the two thumbs up. And I'm like, <laughs> what's going on over there? I don't even know what happened. And, you know, my last practice, I was like right there in the top three, if I remember correctly, or maybe, but I ran the fastest times or whatever. And I'm like, he's like, what'd you do? And I'm like, I haven't done anything. I'm just driving the car. And it's like, all right, keep doing that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the whole event, I mean, I just, we, I just ran the car. I remember uh, Neil McCurdy was there from Trinity doing my motors. And we yep. were literally, um, depending on the track, if it was really hot and it got a little um, dry and slick or if it's yep. damp and it was hot, we were literally tuning the, the way the motors ran with how hard we were charging the batteries. And that was kind of the first yeah, time we okay. were playing with the amps on the yep. batteries. And we learned that out of... Uh, a mistake because one of the batteries shut off early and we were up and we had to kill it with amps and we're like just cranked it and got it charged and it went out in the car was like we had a ridiculous amount of bottom end i'm like yeah. neil i think there's something here to this you know <laughs> and it was he's like yeah that looked really good i'm like i think we need to play with this amperage thing so we started playing with that i really didn't do any other mate you know anything changes the car and we just it just the car was consistent the track kind of stayed the same and just went out and ran laps and, and was able to, you know, almost put it in, you know, put it on the top of the podium. We had some rain in that second um, main and the uh, the guys from England really knew what was going on that were from Associated. We just yeah. were kind of, we were lost for tires in that one. And, and uh, you know, Kinwald got me and, uh, you know, rightfully so, because mm -hmm. he is obviously one of the legends in off-road. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we were close to making lightning strikes. So Gary was right. And he reminds me of that every once in a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever get an invite to go race off road in the UK, you're the man for the job. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So yeah. that's that's my that's my thing. So, nice. yeah, that's one of the, from those races you mentioned. That that race. That's what I. It was a that was a magic. Another kind of, if you will, magic event. So nice. Extraordinary win for Brian Kinwald. I do think I think there's some other stories there too about the associated guys grafting maybe a low C hydro drive or something onto their car late in the event and finding some speed. I think I can't quite yeah. remember the story, but I think there's there was more behind the scenes going on at that race. Uh hundred percent. Yeah. It switched. The kind of momentum switched right in the middle of the finals, didn't it? Uh, it did. so I think Brian came from way back on the grid, something like seventh or eighth qualifier, I think, to win if I'm if I remember rightly. Yeah, I don't remember where he qualified, but yeah, the, the, they did put a hyper or hyper drive, <laughs> uh, hyper drive on there, and yeah, uh, yeah and I, I think that I think that made its way from the low C pits, uh, knowingly, not unknowingly. So and the, I think there was that was a little 
political move. I believe Brian soon after went to race for Losi and et cetera. So it was a, but uh, yeah, so. yeah. So it was fine. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I have no problem with that, and I think the the right guy won that race for sure. Yeah, so. yeah. But close, but close, but close. Yes. <laughs> So, Joel, over, you know, I guess we've talked through world championship experiences there in particular from, you know, that first one right back in 1982, um, that incredible experience you had going to the UK and and what you saw Kyosho doing at a Worlds there, winning there and then winning again um, on home turf, as it were, back in the US and some of those other things. I'm, I'm curious what you learned about what it takes to win a world championship. You know, you, you, you picked up a couple of yourself, you got super close a couple of times, you know, what, what goes into, what has to go right for, for someone to take away a world championship win? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's cliche, but I think races are won before you get to the track at that level. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, you don't necessarily get a ton of practice uh, to make, changes and to 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 um if you will make wholesale changes if you want yeah. where you're just yeah. oh god you know let's shorten the chassis or something you know yeah. something like that so you really kind of got to do your homework so as a you know from a car perspective um you know you got to go with a plan and i you know i think i learned that watching the low seas and especially gill prep um what they what was going to happen and how it was going to go for practice and having multiple you know, setups on a car in the first rounds and, and trying to learn, knowing what each driver was and, and knowing how their feedback was. So he knew, you know, what he could learn from each driver yep. to then translate to a setup, you know, in general, a general setup to get people going. And that's, you know, it's a team effort. It's when you go to Worlds, you know, with the limited time, unless, of course, AIDS go Worlds, it seems like they have you know, lose the practice for whatever reason, but the electric side, you know, you, you only had a couple of days typically to get on the track and get things done. So you really needed to have a strong team and you need to have a team that, you know, the, you need to have someone who's, who's there translating all this data, if you will, mm-hmm. to the car and understanding where the track's going versus what he's hearing, you know, he or she would be hearing. And, you know, teams, you know, associated had Cliff Lett, if you will, and, and uh, Losey had Gill, you know, and they happened to be the guys designing the car. So great, you know, I mean, yes. you can't get yes. any better combos than that. And that's really, you know, when you get to a world's back then, that's what it took because it was so um, competitive and it just, you know, there was there was a lot of um, there's a lot of prototype stuff floating around and mm. you need you needed to know immediately if we're chasing that yeah. down a hole or not you know and uh, so I think you know from a chassis side it's one before you get there and you know from a driver's side it's really um, trying to compartmentalize again don't get wrapped up in your chassis the guys that are the best are the guys that, that just go make the best of what they have every run you yeah. don't you're not like I had mentioned before. You're not trying yeah. to redesign the car while you're reconfigure the car, if you will. You're not thinking about setup. You're not doing. It. They are just pure drivers, mm-hmm. and they they can if they happen to be their own mechanics, they can put that in their back pocket. And now I'm a driver and that's go right. out and drive. And yeah. uh, and I think that's so important. It's it's so at that level, especially. It's such a mental game because um, it takes so much concentration. You can't make mistakes. You can't. You know. You just got to be on your game and you really got to be in the right headspace from the time you 
land, you know, and you really, and to me, it was a buildup, you know, trying to get just in a way, you don't want any complications in life either. And it was about just getting things organized. So when you leave and you get on that plane that you don't have a worry in the world, except how to make your car go the fastest around the track. And, uh, that's, you know, it's a big thing, you know, and, 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 um, the, uh, the mental aspect, I don't know if a lot of people talk about it, but from my perspective, mm-hmm. it's everything for mm-hmm. a driver. Yep. I mean, just uh, having your head in the game and, and, and really plugging into being a driver. And it's, uh, I think when you're young, it's easy. As you get older, obviously, we all have these distractions. And it, it really became apparent to me then that, that I didn't even know I was doing it because I was just too young. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> as I got older, I realized why it was easier when I was young. I'm like, okay, we got to figure out how to replicate that somewhat, you know, as I get older. So, yeah, in, a, in an intentional kind of a way rather than just because you're 18 and your whole life yeah. is focused on this moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. We, I think we're going into uh, a situation where we're going to continue this conversation on part two. So my last question for this part, and then we'll we'll wrap and let people, our listeners, get on with their days, and we'll, we'll be back next week for some more. You know, you talked a moment ago about the importance of the team. We've talked about some of your mentors and some of the people that you've worked with on the – I guess on the chassis side or on the organizational side. But, you know, there are a couple of names of teammates that you drove with, people that you raced with kind of through that world championship era that you really enjoyed kind of being on a team with, you worked well with. You talked about Jack Johnson, you know, in that story about Basildon, uh, for example. Are there one or two others that, you know, that were teammates to you that, you know, you really enjoyed uh, their company and the competition and working alongside them? Yeah, a lot over the years. I was very fortunate. Um, you know, from in the very beginning, back in the 12 scale days, um, there was a driver, Bob Light, uh, from out of uh, Oklahoma, I believe, um, that we just got along great. And he was a very good driver and always right there. And we just got along great. And it was a great teammate, yep. could share ideas and just got along great and had a great time. Um, uh, you know, David Spachette was another great teammate, yep. um, really enjoyed his company. Anytime we see each other now, we just have a great time. And I used to see him in Nuremberg, uh, when I was going to the toy fair and it was, I just loved sitting down chatting with him, yep. um, and racing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's so many over the years, but those guys come to mind yeah. to me yeah. that were really, you know, where you kind of click with them. Um, there's a lot of other, and I, those guys, I, I say teammates, um, you know, because they were at the highest level and they mm-hmm. come to mind, but I also had a lot of good friends that were, yeah. you know, more in regional levels over, yeah. you know, teammates, but, mm-hmm. um, those guys as drivers world-class, you know, um, was, um, it was, it was fun to race with them and, uh, you know, Spachette in the later years was great. It was no fun watching him win three world titles <laughs> in front of me, but I, yeah. You can't help but like the guy, you know, it's like, no, okay, all right, David, you know, you could send a crumb our way, you know, we do travel. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I've had some great teammates over the years and those, yeah. those guys on tonight's scale, yeah, just they, um, come to mind. Yeah. yeah sure. Nice. Joel, uh, this first part of our conversation has been an absolute delight of, as we've gone from the 0.049 nitro powered uh, Jerobi 12 scale car in 1977 or something right through uh, US and World Championship Racing. Thanks for joining me, uh, and I hope we can uh, uh, chat again. And I really want to dig into some of the Trinity story, uh, a little bit of your AKA experience, and and some other parts of of the sport and the way it's been for you. But for now, thank you for joining me. Hey Scott, it's been wonderful, and I look forward to getting together with you again soon.
Beautiful. Folks, thank you for joining us. This is part one of a part two conversation. I invite you back, uh, hopefully, on next week's episode as we continue. For now, though, I hope you're enjoying the show. would love you to, uh, what's the classic terminology of podcasters everywhere, like and subscribe, share it with your mates, these wonderful conversations exploring our sport. Uh, but for now, thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next week.